I am delighted to welcome on this edition of the Nordic Football Podcast, Starbeck Assistant Manager, Hugo Vicente, Portuguese Assistant Manager. I hope you're doing really well today and thanks very much for coming on the show. Hi, Steve, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's a pleasure because I'm a, I'm a follower, I'm a listener, so it's quite cool to be part of it. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant to have you on here. And you must be excited ahead of the start of the new season. It's been a long, long wait Oof, for yeah. Norwegian football, hasn't it? Yeah, it's uh, typical. Pre-seasons are very long. This year was exceptionally long. And uh, yeah, but we cannot. We already had two competitive games, so it gave already some some feeling of what will come. But uh, really anxious to start. Yeah, of course, you've been involved in the Norwegian Cup, and I must congratulate you for making it as far as the semi-finals. You've got a really big match coming up soon against Bran, and yeah. uh, I watched the pen- I watched the highlights of the penalty shootout against Molde because. Starbeck sensationally knocked Molder out of the Norwegian Cup, the holders of the competition. Um, I think it went all the way through to penalty number 13 or something yeah, ridiculous like that. 12, yeah, 12. Both goalkeepers scored in the shootout and um, I think Molder on at least two occasions had a chance to go through but yeah. missed. So, I mean... Do you like? Is it quite good having competitive games before the season? Do you think, and to be involved like that? Uh, for me, this is also like a, a novelty in a way that the, the preseason is so long that uh, that uh, I'm used to Portugal, where you have a month preseason. There we go. Uh, I think it's quite nice to have these uh, games, but at the same time, I think it just feels uh, the waiting after those games to start the, the league. It feels a bit uh, so. It's it would be nice to have some games and then start right away, uh, but obviously it's it's depending if you get on with it, if you win your league or your game and so on. But yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about Starbeck then, because uh, of course they are a newly promoted team for this season in Elite Serien. Certainly a club uh, very familiar with the top level of uh, Norwegian football. Bounce back at the first time of asking. But let's talk about the, the last season at Starbeck. We don't really uh, have enough discussion about Obos Ligain on this show. Now, you, you I do believe, um, were appointed uh, at the club at the beginning of last season. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in Portugal with my with João Pedro Sousa as assistant coach to him. He used to be assistant coach to Marco Silva in uh, Everton and uh, all these places that uh, Marco Silva has been. And then he had an offer to go to Saudi Arabia and I didn't want to go because of uh, I have my family here and I have a daughter in Portugal, my wife in Norway. So it would be a, a, a really hassle to, to just uh, be there. So I didn't want to go. Uh, and then uh, yeah, I decided to come back home to Norway and I was searching for something to take a next step. And suddenly came this opportunity to go to Stavik. And since, since I thought this is a club that belongs to the first level, I was in the beginning, I was a bit unsure. Shall I go as an assistant coach to the second league in Norway? But at the same time, I had a talk with the, the manager back then. And I think we kind of yeah, identified and, uh, and we moved on. So February, we, we started. I started with them. And then it was a nice journey until the end of the season. Yes, of course, the manager of Starbeck at that point was Eric Ishona, who we yeah. did have on the show in the past. 
And is it a case of there's this clear objective for the club that you had to go back automatically promoted in that season? Is that was that the objective? It's it's a bit like uh, you know how it is in football. One day it's one thing, the next day is another. We the main goal is the club could survive if they didn't get up, but the expectation was definitely that we could go up. Uh, but then we had a, a couple of uh, bad results, and then uh, the club was afraid to lose the train, uh, and then they they kicked out Tyrik. Uh, even though I I think back then it was. Uh, we were still in a good position to to go through, but I think it's also you know how it is. Eirik was connected to the relegation because he was the coach that assumed the last part of the season when the team got relegated, and it's really hard when you start also bad in our home games to have that confidence. The the people on the stadium, your fans, your supporters, there is always this shadow over your head that they got relegated and is this good enough is this not good enough and then when we had a couple of bad results then uh, the club decided to change yeah and um incredibly the whole of last season uh no manager in elite serian was replaced either sacked or, or moved on and there weren't that many in obos league again either i think um certainly the frederick stat boss i think bit the dust there might have been a few others. At this one, I remember, I think you lost against Sturdles Blink, who at that time looked like they were going to f- even fold as a club. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You were in a good position. I remember looking at some of the metrics and statistics and the one area you were a little bit behind, you were not quite achieving your expected goals, which yeah. might have explained why, you, you know, you probably might have been five or six points higher. That's football, though. Like you say, um, changes are made. Um, Lars Brahinen came in to the club. I mean, often when a manager does get sacked, the, the whole backroom staff get sacked as well. So, um, you know, you obviously stayed in the role. What is yeah. it like, though, um, sort of with, when a brand new manager comes in? Is that is that difficult for the for the sort of the coaching staff that remain at the club? Or, you know, does it depend on the person? Well, I think it depends on the person, depends on the personality and the openness of both. Uh, people at the same time it's not easy you have different ideas that could came in it was not the case that it was uh, large came in with the idea to build on what was going well and try to be more cynical in terms of becoming more effective defensively and then we catch the wave that was starting to happen with gift that's starting to be a player that became key because i think if you see the first part of the season we were like you said statistically we were not so far away from Brand, even though they dominated totally. But uh, we were we were not scoring goals, and you know how it's football. You don't score a goal, and then you might. We didn't concede goals. We were very solid defensively. But um, yeah, but at the same time, it's it's a bit hard. Uh, but we large came in, and uh, yeah, we had a talk, and uh, we put <laughs> we agreed on what which one will do, and. Uh, and what is his ideas? And it was easy. Obviously, it's it's very hard. Sometimes you are, as a coach, you have your own ideas. And because there was this period uh, in between, we could, I might could lead the game against start, but then came large. So it's a bit like your ideas, how different would be from Eric, even though you were his assistant. And I think people sometimes uh, forget that you have your own identity, you have your own ideas. But if you are a good professional, you adapt to what your your job is to help your head coach to achieve what he wants. Uh, 
So so that's that's not so hard. The only thing I demand is to be heard. The rest is the decision is his. That's how it is. Yeah, and you had a you had a brilliant finish to the season. Um, I think you won something like eight out of ten games, unbeaten finish, and in the end, actually achieved the second place fairly comfortably. And you're right; everyone really last season is talking about the the record breaking brand team. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at the best eleven, the team of the season, and um, most players in that eleven would would be brand. But you, you did have an amazing player who. Incredibly, it was kind of slipped under the radar on this particular podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, Emmanuel Gift Auburn, um, who ended up scoring 16 goals for the club. He's now absolutely nailing goals um, in, in the Belgium League. A Nigerian striker, 20 years old. And I mean, what's the story behind him? Because it looks like he, ca- he came to Starbeck initially on loan from a club called Bison FC. Then you sign him permanently. And then within... Well, less than six months, he sold to Ghent for three point three million pounds. So, yeah. I mean, getting him getting him into the club, obviously, that's a brilliant bit of recruitment in the first place. And um, he, he didn't take him very long to settle in and, and score goals. No, it's a bit. Uh, I think uh, you're not so lucky to hit the moosh all the time. So it was really bullseye. Uh, the club usually goes to these academies and uh, with people from the club to scout players and uh, we identified uh, that player and he came on trial with us and uh, he did some friendly games in the preseason. Uh, he had something, but to be very honest with you, if you tell me, okay, this guy in six months is going to play in your team, score every goal, every game, and he will be sold and he will score, I wouldn't believe you. Not that he was, he didn't have that uh, X factor, but when he came, uh, there is a lot, uh, a lot of adaptation. So you don't really know who is the player in the beginning, and there is a big barrier. Norwegian culture from the Nigerian culture, it's totally different. And Gift was not a travelled guy. In between, he speak French. The only person that speak French in the team was me. So I was the guy trying to make him uh, adapt, adjust, and uh, following him up in this process. Uh, but it's not easy. But uh, after a while, so he he came here and then his visa went out and then he came back again. And when he came back again, we decided to sign him because he did have one thing. And and that's the thing that I can say now. Now it's easy to talk good about him because he's succeeding. But the truth is, he's a guy that doesn't miss chances in the trainings also. And that's not normal. I've been working at top level in Portugal. I work with really good players the last three, four years. And I haven't seen uh, a player that is so effective. And then you always wonder, is it the level that it's too low? Or is him that definitely has uh, some X factor here? And I think you can say that uh, Gift will succeed because he, he can transform any, any chance into a goal. He's a guy that very seldom misses goals. Yeah, it sounds like his development was was rather rapid, very quick. And I mean, do you think that is almost a natural thing or do you have to and, and give yourself some credit here, you know, down to the good coaching at the club to help him, you know, de- develop um, his own self personally, technically. But is there a lot of that? Is it just a natural thing? I could clap myself in the back if I wanted to use the chance, but no, it's it's like I think you definitely create conditions for them to to blomster uh, in a way to to flourish. You create the conditions, but in the end of the day, it, it has to be something 
they already have. And in case of Gift, obviously, he needed some adjustments on timing of pressure. When uh, Petr Belswick also, which was the other assistant, he did some many work with him on the way he moved on the box in terms of video. So, so these small details uh, gathered with this desire to succeed because he's really like a, a real win. He really wants to win. He really wants to succeed in life. And that's other side, which is the social side that sometimes you, you in countries that uh, we call third world countries, usually players come, it's, it's their life, it's their only way to succeed. I'm not saying that was the case and I'm not saying that is always the case, but uh, I think Gift was very, uh, he was very dedicated. He was really wanted to succeed and I think the context helped him a lot because I think the team also allowed him to, 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 to adapt fast. So, and, and he learned that he, he was not the kind of player that you, that you had to explain everything. He understood the game. Uh, even though he was very savage in terms of behaviors in relation to others. But at the same time, you don't want to cut that. I, as a coach, I do believe a lot that uh, I'm here and I don't want to drop the quality of the player to my level. Because if I do that with Messi, Messi would never be a player and I play really lousy. So so I really feel like I don't want to to drop the level of the player to my level. I want the player to keep his own identity. So we try to... Uh, try to, in a way, create a context where he could use what he was good at, scoring goals, and uh, yeah, and we succeed with that. That's that's a, a successful story. We have many that probably were not so successful. So it's sometimes it's like what happened here. Yeah, <laughs> so we don't know. We we try to create the same environment. We try to, but uh, it was definitely a quick a quick adaptation and a very quick uh, story of uh, success. Definitely. It is difficult to predict the future, but in your personal opinion, just how far can he go in the in the world of football? Could he be the next Victor Osiman? I don't have any. Now I'm thinking like I'm not saying I don't have any doubts, but I think the next step is Premier League for sure. Only if they are sleeping, <laughs> which they aren't. Um, the clubs aren't. Uh, I think it's Premier League for sure, and and from there. Uh, that, that's that's a bit which context he will go, which club, and, but it's it's a bit like there is always this. Um, I also worked when I was in Copenhagen. I was also coaching uh, Rasmus Højlund, which now is is a big guy also. Uh, and it, and it, Rasmus was a bit the same scenario. It was a player that scored chances, but he had to develop other parts of the game. But he was good at scoring goals, and that's what you want from a striker. So. Uh, I prefer to have a guy that can score goals and don't do nothing else, <laughs> but he scores goals and then you can build on it. So, so there is this natural talent and this, this cold blood in the finishing situations that these players have. And if you ask me why, is it training? Is it, uh, it's a bit of everything. And, in the and it's rare, game. isn't it? It's, it's the yeah. hardest thing in football to score goals regularly. Yeah, yeah, indeed, hardest thing in football. indeed I, I remember having, having this discussion some years ago in a different club where we had a player that just scored goals. And he was he was awful at the rest. He was bad at meeting. He was bad at doing his first touch. He was bad. He was bad at everything, but he scored goals. How bad can that be? <laughs> so Exactly. <laughs> it's 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 and he got plenty of goals for you last season. And um and obviously then you you, you sell him to Ghent for 3.3 million, which is great money. But there's always yeah. that question. 
how do you replace someone um, with that many goals? And what you've done, you've signed two interesting strikers mm-hmm. this season. Uh, Mushaga Bakenga, who you just got to look at his previous um, scoring record in Elite Serie, and he's proven at this level. I don't think things worked out too well at his last club, but I think he was halfway around the world. And then an interesting player who um, I, I think could be a dark horse this season, Casper Warts Ho, I think is the pronunciation. Two interesting signings there for you up front. So, I mean, it's kind of like Gift is someone like, it's probably irreplaceable on his own as an individual player at this stage. But you have brought two interesting players up and it looks like you're going to be playing in a 3-5-2 system. Are you excited yeah. about this this partnership? Yeah, uh, I think uh, also we just signed Kevin Cabran. Uh, I don't know if you are updated on that, but he came from Viking, which is a new add-on for us. And that's also to compensate the lack of a striker because in the end of the day last season we had uh, we lost all the strikers we sold uh, Oliver Edwards until Holland then in the middle we lost Cornelius Hansen, Fiti Masemi and Gift so we were with no striker um, so basically we definitely needed players and we tried to get a, blend, a mix of uh, players with experience and players that can give us something and I think Kasper is definitely interesting because he's a, like he likes to describe himself, he's a power player. He, he, he celebrates every goal he scores in the training session. So that shows how either how crazy he is or how how desire he has to succeed also. So, so we create a good mix of players that can do a good partnership on the top, indeed. Uh, Mush with his experience. Kasper and now Kevin, that can also give us something is... Uh, he used to be a winger, but I think he can give us a lot in half spaces coming back. And so, so it's exciting. It's exciting. I think we have players that can fight for every position. And that's a situation where we were not last year. So yeah. last year, our team was much more limited. So uh, right now, we feel like definitely there is a huge competition. And that is lifting also the quality of the other players that were here from last season that probably you expected less, but they are overperforming right now or performing very well. Let's say it this way. As we as we go into the season, you are one of the favourites to be relegated by the, with the mm-hmm. bookmakers. Um, is it a simple case of that your actual aims and objectives for the season will be simply to, first and foremost, survive? Or do yeah. you have to look a bit beyond that? Otherwise, you can get almost like too negative with, with the mindset. I think if you internally, as a as a club, we haven't set up uh, where where do we feel internally as the team, not the club, but the group. What do we feel? Where would we feel we can reach? Um, but as a club, when we started, it was a clear definition: is like we cannot be relegated. We don't want to be relegated. That's our goal. But obviously, with the, as the preseason goes on, and you realize we signed a lot of good players. We signed. I think we hit. The signings quite well. Uh, the player, the needs we had uh, to the midfield, the competition we now we have on the midfield in the defense, in the top, and uh, that has given us some games where we played against top clubs already, where we performed quite well. I know this is still preseason, but that makes people maybe thinking maybe this is not going to be so bad. And then we beat uh, Molde. It was on the penalties, yes, but we did a very balanced game. It was not uh, Molde was not so superior as they could or should be. So uh, it makes you 
look at it like are we underdogs i i don't know uh because in the end of the day you need to you need to start you need to start playing and see where you are maybe in the middle of the season you'll have a different perspective but i i really feel our goal is to not get relegated but at the same time we have good expectations that we can do a little bit better than that yeah and i think it's worth mentioning to the listeners that this is a very very different starbeck squad to the one that got relegated i mean i've looked at the, the player turnaround since then there still are a few players around but there is a lot of changes um I, I agree with you i think you've you've done well with the signings i mean even in the goalkeeper position sandberg i think was goalkeeper of the year in obos yeah. but you brought in isaac petterson who um i think it's a ridiculously good signing actually because he was Alsvenskan goalkeeper of the season not yeah. too many years ago i don't really know what to lose were doing um not playing in much they did have a goalkeeper in um uh, who's in great form. I think that's why he couldn't really get into the team there. But um, I think Petterson as a starter for, for Starbeck is, is kind of ridiculous. I think you've got you've added good depth in all areas of the field. Yeah. What, what are we gonna what sort of football are we gonna expect from you though this season, do you think Hugo? For the for the neutral out there, are we gonna see an exciting Starbeck or is it I mean I've noticed, you know, since Lars took over, you haven't conceded many goals. Um, you know, it looks like you're going to be often in this three-five-two system, four-three-three-four-three system. Um, you know, is it going to be defence first or a bit of a balancing act? Yeah, it's a bit. Um, I think it's a bit. Um, it's a bit hard for me to say what we want because I'm not uh, large in terms of his head, but obviously yeah. I'm aware of what we want. Uh, I think it starts on the first change. It. Isaac gives us another dimension of the game. So maybe even in the first build-up phase, you can risk much more because you have a player that is very, very comfortable with the ball as a keeper. And also you have midfielders that are much more confident. And at the same time, I think uh, if we compare last season to this season, when Lars came in, the, the goal was, like I said, to not change so much, to build on what was done, but to be more cynical, defend better, defend well, defend low, and then t- try to create with the ball. So, and uh, and uh, being effective and so on. I think this season, I think we can expect a bit more something in between. But at the same time, if we look at the perspective, we are still a team that our goal is to not get relegated. So we are not going to go into the naivety that uh, we go playing at the uh, Molde Stadium and uh, and Bodo Glimt and just let's go full pressure and 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 also. And also, there is a trend in the Norwegian football, which which kind of benefits the the big teams, I think, in a way. Or let me say it differently: not the big teams, but the teams that are good with the ball, and that's where we want to be. Which is there is a tendency in Norway that there is no middle block pressure. You either press high or you press low. There is nothing in between. And um, this is a tendency. This is a trend. And this is a, I'm not saying it's good or wrong, but this is what's happening. And this allows when the opponent, if you win the ball, if the opponent drops back, if you have quality with the ball, you can dominate the game much more. It's harder to create chances because the, the defense has a very low block. But at the same time, uh, you can control the game much more. And I think we have players that uh, allow us to dominate the game in a better way than we had last season. So, so, so I think we can be more ambitious on the way we want to play. That's uh, the way to answer, I think. Let's just talk a little bit about a little bit about coaching then and the role of the assistant manager. 
and um, the tactical side. Yeah, I'm sure you've coached many different systems in your coaching career at the minute. You know, you are coaching, it looks like this three at the back system, whichever way you want to go about it. And um, uh, how easy is it to 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 coach, uh, say, a 3-5-2 compared to a 4-4-2 or, or a 4-3-3? I think I think to be honest, it's this is the old discussion. Systems mean nothing, but they mean a lot. They are the starting point of the dynamic mm. you want to introduce in the team. I think the thing that it's difficult, not difficult, that it's different uh, with a backline of five, is that the behaviors of the defenders is different from a backline of four. With four players, you don't want them jumping all the time to go in pressure, but the backline of five allows you to do that. So. I think the problem is not coaching in the four, with four or five. I think the problem is jumping in between these two scenarios. Because offensively, I think every team is doing that or was doing that dynamically, building up with three, side back go up, winger comes in. This was It was already a trend that you build up with three, but now it's a clear trend. But that's a counter, as a counter response to the... the Guardiola legacy, having five guys in the half spaces in the mid, in the middle room, and when you have five guys, you need to have a line of five so that you are not uh, so that you're not so vulnerable, and and that that be- makes you be more aggressive. So I think the only issues is what do you want from the system, and do you have players that fit in there? I think, for example, and this is not a critic to to us or to any club. But we are seeing so much times that uh, that we need to question ourselves as coaches. Is the system enhancing the quality of my players or I just want the players to fit on my system, period? And, and I think that's an answer for each coach or a question that each coach should put in himself. Because if you say, I want the player to fit in my system and I don't care, great, you're judged by your results, that's it. But I think if you think the opposite... You not only focus on results, because if you do it like that, it's because you believe in it, but also you value players. You probably play better football because players are able to do what you want from them or expect. Because it's a bit like with this trend of playing with five, now you have sidebacks that are totally high and wide. I'm Portuguese. I love wingers. I cannot see sidebacks up in the line that are unable to do 1v1. I do that. We do that. That's how we play. But if you ask me, I love wingers. I love 1v1. But at the same time, would I play 3-5-2? Yeah, I did it before. I love the 5-3-2 system. I I like the 3-4-3 also. So I think in the end of the day, in my opinion, it's based on how can you better enhance your players, even though obviously you as a coach, you have a a preferred system. If, If you... If you ask me why do I like 4-3-3, because I've been using it so often that I, in my head automatically, if the opponent does this, I know how to counter, I know how to explore it, because I've been through it so often. But I've been it on 5-3-2, and, and there is pluses and minus. I think if you want to press very high with a back line of five, you have some restrictions there, or you have real big animals and the wing backs that can do up and down and at in, in also very technically developed. And if you're not playing at the top, top level of the game, it's not easy to find those players. So so that balance, you as a coach, you need to find it. But I think in the end of the day, uh, if you coach based on principles, it doesn't matter what system you use. It, it's, it's, I think that's what, I'm, what I believe. 
very interesting stuff indeed, uh, Hugo. And um, I just want to talk. You mentioned that obviously you're Portuguese. Um, I've been looking at your history. Yeah, you've certainly been um, many, uh, been around many different clubs. Started off uh, several in Portugal, and then you know you managed to make um, a move up to Scandinavia. A team called uh, Bergsoy. Wait, yeah. I think is how you pronounce it, and then follow, and then Viking. You were Viking for a couple of years, FC Copenhagen as well. Yeah. Uh, back to Portugal and back in, in Scandinavia. I mean, what's your sort of journey, and, and how did you get the connection to Scandinavia? Yeah, it's a bit, uh, you know, those teenage passions of uh, you like a country and you like it, and that's yeah. it. I, I had that with Sweden, uh, and then I like Swedish music, I like Swedish cars, and suddenly I got attracted with the. Uh, uh, I was still a teenager, and then the more you you dig in, the more you like things, the social balance, the political system. So I was I was kind of drawn to it when I was a teenager, and that kind of stick here. So when I was in Braga uh, as academy manager, uh, we had a success, very successful period there, where players like uh, Francisco Trincão and Pedro Gonçalves that scored the goal against Arsenal were part of our academy, and uh, they got out from there. We we had really good success. And back then I was thinking, I need an adventure. I want to challenge myself. And I saw uh, advertising. Uh, I just searched on Google Translate, old days, old internet, very slow. <laughs> I searched a uh, football job uh, in Swedish and I landed in the Norwegian Football Coaches Association. I saw a job offer and I sent the CV, to be honest. No idea if I want to take that or whatever. I just sent it as curiosity. And suddenly we started talking and uh, I got invited to visit the club. It was a lower level. All my friends called me crazy. All my family called me crazy. But I thought it was like, you know what? What I've done in Braga is done. Now I need to have a new chapter. Definitely you learn the lesson because it's a totally different context, especially if you go to a, what we call here a Breda club, which is clubs where their main goal is not to be in Portugal. Every club, even if you're a social club, your goal is to be better than Befik or Sporting. So you always, it's to win, it's to win, it's this and that. And and suddenly you come to a context where they want to be good, but they want to be good socially. And suddenly you're totally like, where am I? <laughs> and then I was there for three years. It was a really good in, uh, entrance door to Scandinavia. And then I just felt, okay, I need more. So, so I need to go back to my professional level. So... Yeah, and then things happened. It was just uh, work and work and work. And then in, when I was in Copenhagen, came the opportunity to go to to Portuguese League in Famalicão, where we had this amazing first season. And then Boa Vista. And then, then when my boss moved to Saudi, I was thinking, okay, I'll learn. I know how to speak Norwegian. I like to be here. My wife is here. Why not? So I came back. <laughs> so that was basically that. You're a multilingual person i mean is at least yeah. three languages maybe more yeah, I speak spanish but that every portuguese can speak at least portuñol so yeah i speak the french english uh, norwegian danish but danish is very similar so i'm okay with languages so that's yeah. very good that's, that's, that's very good that's, indeed that's a really great tool that you sometimes you're not aware how important that can be as a coach and that happened to us in famalicão we had players from all over that you really need to use. And it's so much easier when the communication exists. It's so much easier to share your ideas. So it's 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 key. What is your own personal, the, the Hugo Vicente sort of 
idea of football and methodology of football? What's your sort of philosophy of football personally, would you say? Yeah, in terms, I'm, I'm very obsessed by the training process. I do believe uh, it's, um, I'm not saying like Klopp, but almost. I do believe the best transfer window is your training sessions, <laughs> almost. Uh, because I, I really believe in development. I really believe what you do every day will make a difference. Obviously, if you have more quality players, better. If you if you have the chance to buy a player, you buy the best one you can have. But uh, I really believe in training. I'm very influenced by the tactical prioritization of the Portuguese way of thinking, in a way. Um, I really believe in contextual training. I really believe that isolated trainings are a no-off. Uh, it's almost like are they bad? No, but there are things that you can do much better. So I'm quite extreme in that. In, in that, and then I'm talking about shadow plays, passing exercises, and things like that, where you remove contextuality, which for me doesn't make sense. There is time and space for them, but let's not make this our priority. And then football-wise, I'm uh, I like possession. I'm I, I I like possession, but I like also quick transition. So I would be, I think, if you. I would be a bit a mix of uh, Klopp, Guardiola, and uh, and the Brighton manager, the Zerbi, which is right now uh, the, maybe the the most exciting one mm-hmm. uh, in terms of football wise. That's how I like to play. That's Did you idea. have any big influences as manager? Um, you know, managers that you look up to, um, really respect, and that you maybe sort of would like to model yourself on at all? Is it a loads of different sort of people? No, I think I think I had it's unquestionably the effect or the influence that Mourinho had to all the Portuguese coaches. Not because that he won. I don't have nothing to do with his personality or whatever. It's not that. But uh, in the way I, when I was started to coach, we were moving on from a totally isolated uh, where you dr- you make drills, you make this and that. And Mourinho was the first coach that succeeded winning with the different coaching methods where your game is the key, where everything goes around your model of play, which is the key ideas of tactical prioritization. So when that happened, it was like a wow factor. And then methodology, method, methodology, you know what I want to say? Yeah, I know what you want to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Mourinho was a big influence, but the rest, I, I, I don't have... I think it's almost like in your career as a coach. If you ask me where you want to go, I want to go as high as I can. But uh, do you have any dream? Or, uh, I never really thought of uh, I would be in Norway coaching. And I, I, Things started and it just went. I'm not a guy that, oh, I have this ambition. I have this goal. Obviously, I, I want to achieve more things. But I'm not a guy like saying, oh, I want to go to the Champions League. I want to coach this club and that club. I have a, a weak spot for EFCO Jotoborg because when I was younger, like I said, I used to love Sweden. So, and Gothenburg in that time. I also have a soft spot for that <laughs> club, I must say. So, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, uh, I don't really have, I have coaches that I look for to to influence on my, the way, for example, Mauricio Sarri uh, work with his defensive line, uh, getting ideas there, the way Guardiola, so, so you, you grab a bit of everyone, but I don't have like this role model that I think I want to be like this guy. So, do, do, what do you think the future then for, for Hugo Vicente? Um, because I know some people are very happy in, in assistant roles, um, throughout the whole career, but others sometimes think you know, maybe one day take the step and be a full head coach 
on a on a on a permanent basis. Do you, do you, yeah. do, you do you see yourself maybe doing that in the future potentially? Yeah, yeah, in, yeah for sure. Uh, when I came to Norway, that was my first plan uh, was to come back because you come from the Portuguese league, top six in in the world. So you're thinking, okay, I'm arriving here, see if there is any opportunity to be a head coach. And that was my plan. But at the same time, it's it's key to reinforce this because I think I love to work on football. If you ask me, do you want to coach kids or youth in the system in the future or senior? I love to coach youth, but right now I've done it for so many years that now I want to continue on the senior level. Uh, I want to be a head coach, but at the same time, if I'm not a head coach, I want to be the best assistant I want to, I can be. And for me, it's more like. If it comes the right project, I want to take it, but I don't have any issues on being an assistant coach as long as I'm apart from the coaching staff. That I'm, a, you're a key part, a key contributor, a guy that that can have his opinions, that can be part of all the discussions. Because you know there is different ways of working, and if you're just an assistant coach to put cones on the floor, then don't count with me. That's basically that. So, so I think I, I love to teach, I love to coach, and it's like if. If I, I I see myself in some years as a sports director, but not now. I see myself as a head coach, but uh, that could be now. But because I'm ready for it. But uh, if I can still be assistant coach in a good level, I don't mind doing it and continue that that path. So that's the that's the future idea. That's that's the plan. Yeah, and just uh, before we finish, going back to, to this season, obviously, you know, you are uh, the assistant manager under Lars Bahin, and what, what's it been like working with him? Overall, obviously, you, you know, you must have a decent relationship there. He's retained you and everything. And, I mean, he's actually, he's, he's still unbeaten in a competitive match for Starbeck, yeah. remarkably. Yeah, so, um, you know, it must be. And what's the, the sort of the overall coaching team set up at Starbeck these days? I mean, are, well, are they... uh, things change, obviously. The, so when uh, when Lars came, uh, he brought his assistant in the new season, so this the start of this season, he brought his assistant coach, which is Andrea Loberto, that has worked with him before. Uh, and Lars told me that uh, Hugo, I'm I'm happy with your work. You have contract to the club. I want to keep you. You can help us. So, but obviously, I'm bringing someone that has been used to work with me. So probably some roles will be more. But the key thing is that we kind of define our roles and and move on. If you're okay with that, and I'm okay with that, so I wanted to continue. We, we succeeded, so um, and now we, we want to see how it's going. But uh, right now we have a coaching, uh, we have a, a the normal setup. We have a fitness coach, we have uh, the goalkeeper coach, we have two assistant coaches. We also have a top speed little tweakler, which is the role that of assistant coach that follows up the youth that are taking that step to the first team. And um, and Andre also does the analysis, so it does a little bit of both roles here. But um, it's been it's been interesting, you know. When uh, Lars came, it's it's a it's a it's a big name in Norwegian football. Mm. So I, I was a kid. I remember him playing as a guy that likes Sweden. I also like Scandinavia, so I remember all the Norwegians and Sweden players in my time. And that's the time I used to be a, a crazy fan for football. Now I'm a I'm a crazy on the coaching job, not as an, a fan. Uh, let's call it this way. Um, and uh, it was exciting to to be able to work with a with such a big name and a guy that already had experience. And uh, yeah, and in the end of the day, I, I really like the fact that uh, it it didn't came in thinking like everything is wrong. It came in and okay, this is what we've been doing. This is good. I want to improve this. 
and I want a little bit different here. Let's go. And that was easy to to start working with. So that was quite quite easy. Yeah, and I think you I think you're the third guest we've had on who has been an assistant to Lars Bahinen and um uh, everyone has always had great praise for him. I, I really was surprised that Sarchburg didn't keep him um in the job the last time he was managing elite Serian football. But um give me give me three Starbet players to, to to watch out for this season for the listeners. I'm sure there'll be some um interested people, you know, maybe even fantasy related here. Or, or someone that might surprise going under the radar? I think uh, it's uh, as a coach, it's quite bad if I talk good about the player and they will think that... Uh... <laughs> no, but I think it's interesting to see what Kasper Hug is going to perform. Yeah. I think it is. Uh, and then um, I think we are having, especially if we talk about youth players, we started mm-hmm. having Alexander uh, Andreasen starting playing. Last year, he did a couple of games with us, but uh, he was not there yet. He still has 17 years old, and he's been playing as a wingback for us. And uh, it's been an interesting development. And that's something that is quite interesting in this club, is that you have a lot of youngsters that they practice with us, and that you can really see that they they will probably pop up. We have Kai also, Kostadinov, which is a guy that... Uh, Last year got injured when he was supposed to start coming on again. So a bit curious on uh, what can he do. But I, I think I think it's once again we had. I, I like the quality, the technical quality of Frederick Haugen. I think it's a player that is quite exciting in terms of him and the ball. We also signed Luca, which is two players that can play in the same position. A guy that I remember playing against him in the Portuguese league that can give us solidity with the ball. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's more of the youth to see are they going to make a breakthrough. Like, for example, we had Philip Risa, a game against Molda, that he had to came in and he was the guy taking the last penalty. <laughs> He's <laughs> From, a 50, this is a 15-year-old yeah, lad exactly. who yeah. came on in the 110th minute, uh, yeah. saw out the draw and then scored the penalty. Yeah. And we have other options. So it's not like, uh, oh, we have to put him because we don't have no one else. The only thing we kind of thought twice because Lars did said I'm going to put him as a number seven taking the penalties, but suddenly we started talking like, ah, but what if he fails? Uh, it can. So we tried to delay it, delay it, but then he had to took it and he was cold blooded as we expected. So so yeah. it's it's quite interesting because it's a it's a kid that is uh, performing well. That's why he came in and uh, could be a guy that can break through this year. I, don't know. I, I sense, I sense, there's a, a pretty good feeling, just in general around the club, as you would expect from most teams that have just been promoted. It's not always the case, but it feels like there's excitement with the new signings you brought in, the youngsters, and I, I, I mean, I just got a, a good feeling that you certainly will surprise, certainly in the first half of the season, if you can yeah. use that momentum. Would you, would you agree with that? Well, you are going to agree with that, aren't you? Because <laughs> yeah, no, I, feel, I feel it's a bit like at the same time, it's obviously Stavek is a club that it's not unknown to be on the top level. So mm. so it's it's not, you, you kind of feel like you arrive where you're supposed to be. Belong. Yeah. So, so so it's not like, oh, we are here now, now we are excited, and but we need to. So, so I think that also gives us some, uh, and the people that work around the club, they are used to this also. So there is no craziness around it and uh, there was uh, some reflection of who to get how do we reinforce our squad 
and uh, I think that's why we we are with a positive uh, feeling. It's because we've been good. We've been playing good. Uh, we signed players that we need. They are performing as expected. We have a couple of them that came in, but they are still injured, so we haven't seen them yet. So we hope they also are signings that uh, are what we expected. And uh, yeah, and I think if we do that, I think we might do a better season than expected from everyone else so that we are not the relegation uh, team expected to be relegated. But uh, yeah, I do, feel, I do feel it's a consequence of the work that it's been done by the club in terms of signings and uh, and uh, we haven't lost since last year some like you said official games so and even training games we lost one and it was a training match where you change players because you want to change so and then we lost 1-0 against Amarby and uh, it's like i think we are performing quite well so it gives us quite confidence so the confidence is not based on crazy feelings it's based on facts of what we are doing until now yeah five at the same time, just to just to sorry to interrupt, but at the same time, you know how it is. The calendar it's quite hard. We have a lot of away games. The first uh, three, four games, our away games are quite hard. So it's a bit like if you if you kind of get a boost there, then probably the season will be amazing. If you start bad, will that affect our confidence? At the same time, that's the good part of people don't expect so much from us because if we don't start so well. We continue in our path, but uh, but it's a challenging uh, couple of away games uh, that we have in the beginning. So, yeah, I've said on I've said on the podcast many times. I think it might be the the most the toughest, best standard of elite Assyrian for a long time because, you know, no disrespect to some teams that have been in the league in recent years like Yev, maybe Mian Dalen, two or three others spring to mind, Ranheim. You know the the makeup of the sixteen teams this year does look really strong. You know, Starbeck have had five medals uh, since the turn of the century. Um, you know, uh, won the league in in two thousand and eight, and you're just two wins away from lifting silverware. You go yes. if you in in the Norwegian Cup semi final at home to Bran. Everyone's expecting Bran to win the game. They're already priced yeah. up actually as odds on favourites. But you're just two wins away from from a trophy, two wins from a European adventure. I would say, um, you know, make sure your passport's renewed. But I don't think there's any danger of that. You're a well-travelled man. Um, I mean, that's got to be exciting to be involved at this later stage of the competition. Yeah, it is. And uh, and it's against Bran, which is a team that we know quite well. They haven't changed mm. much. Uh, so that's a plus for them. Uh, and they are a team that I they do play a football that I like a lot. Um, they have really good players, so it won't be easy. But at the same time, uh, I think we can. Uh, we are much more leveled this year than we were last season. And still, last season we were able to be competitive against them, even though they yeah. were. You did better. take a point off them. One of the yeah. few teams yeah. to actually manage it. Yeah. So um, I think there is a good possibility that we can go through. And, and in the end of the day, even if Bran is expected to be the best team in the league, which some people say it is, even if that was the case, I don't think we are we are so far. But at the same time, it's one game, and in one game anything can happen. And if we win this one, then we are in the final. It's, it will be the third final of Stabek in their history. We The club has won one time, has been runner-up another time. So the third would be nice to be part of it. And uh, if, we, if we are able to achieve an Europa place by winning the Cup, with two games in the season, it's amazing. 
it's, it's almost amazing. It would be incredible. I wish you the very best of luck in in those um, potential cup matches. The best of luck for the season, and also your own self personally. You go in your footballing adventure. And is there anywhere we um, the listeners can find you on on the socials at all? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not a I'm not a big uh, tweet, and I'm not a big uh, guy sharing uh, social media. I'm a very low profile. Not You're because not an Instagrammer I, then. I have uh, Instagram is more personal, uh, so <laughs> I usually, no. Usually, I I, I have Twitter, but uh, I'm not sharing as much as I should. I think LinkedIn is probably the place I take it more yeah. uh, serious. But I I'm not a guy that is, is so active on social media, to be honest. Well. Can, sometimes might, might might be the best thing these days. So, yeah, uh, once, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, once again, we thank you very much for your time here on the Nordic Football Podcast. Have a great thanks. season, and we'll be following your your adventures uh, in, in great detail. But thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.